thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning, Connect Church. Hey, what about the message in that song? The faithfulness of God. And how many this morning, and how many you're just grateful for how faithful God's been to you? Man, me too. What a beautiful song. They did a great job. And leading us out this morning. Grateful that you are here. And if you're visiting with us today, hey, thanks for coming and hanging out with us. We are so honored by you being here and together the joy we have in making much of Jesus. Uh, now, I want to share with you something I got to share with all our couples at the marriage retreat. And unless you were with us at uh, the beginning of Connect Church, you've probably not heard this story. But I want to share with you today uh, the story of really one of the toughest parts in mine and Aaron's early marriage, and yet we survived and we made it today, and it was all her fault. So here we go. You ready? Now, we're a year into our marriage, and uh, Hurricane Katrina had happened just a couple years earlier, and some youth groups have gotten together, and they were heading down to the coast of Mississippi, and there they were helping so many people rebuild uh, back their, their, their lives and their homes and all that they had lost. And they'd asked me to come down and preach for a few nights amidst all those students. And so uh, Aaron and I, we went down there and did just that. Well, at the end of it, I mean, they, they paid us some money. And they gave us an honorarium, and it was so much bigger than we thought it would be. And so you know what we decided to do? As poor as we were, man, we were just going to go, and we were going to take a couple days and have a vacation since we were already down at the coast. And so we drove over to around Gulf Shores, Alabama. And listen, I'm sure there was a beach there, and, and I'm sure we stayed at a hotel, and there was nice things there. But there's one thing I remember, and that is Lambert's Restaurant. Anybody ever been to a Lambert's Restaurant? You know exactly what I'm talking. You, you know what they call it, and y'all who've been there, help me out here. It's the home of the throwed rolls, throwed rolls, right? I just, while you're there in the restaurant, they will come out with these huge carts of bisque, of rolls that are as big as your head, and then all of a sudden they just start chunking them across the restaurant. If you raise your hand, it is one of the most beautiful sights in all of creation. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget when we were there, this little boy was like, I mean, he had to be four or five. And he, give me a roll. And so this girl chunked this roll of his head, and it opened up fresh out of the oven. And I watched it just hit him and open up on his face, and it was awesome. It, just a great restaurant. Well, we get there, and, um, man, they come around with buckets of fried okra and everything they put on. It's just really cool. And these big portions, I said, you know what, man, we, we got to check we're going to eat, I'm going to eat some ribs today, Aaron. That was one of the most expensive things on the menu. So we, we, I got ribs, and, and Aaron got a piece of lettuce. Anyway, it was something like that. And so I'm eating my ribs, and I finished it within a few minutes, and the waiter comes around and goes, hey, hey, listen, do you want some more ribs? And I thought, look at me. Of course the answer is yes, but we can't afford them, right? Like, I, I don't want to do that. So I was like, you know what? man, I'm going to pass on the ribs. And, and so Aaron finished her lettuce. I finished my ribs. We, we pay, and we start walking out the parking lot. And Aaron looks at me. We're one year into our marriage. She, she said, man, I'm surprised you didn't get more ribs. I was like, well, babe, I, I'm not paying $15 more for ribs. She goes, they were free. They were all you could eat. <laughs> and you tell me now? When we're out, we already paid the bill. We're already out. I said, Aaron, why didn't you tell? You know me. Why didn't you tell me in a place? She said, well, I just thought you knew this. I passed the bar. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm calling mama. <laughs> so one year into marriage, 
what every young man ought to do is call his mom. And I say, hey, mama, listen, this, mama, you know this is true. This is how my mom answers every time when I call her. What's wrong? What's wrong? I said, mom, nothing's wrong. Aaron and I were down here at a restaurant called Lambert's down here on the coast. And I got to ask you a question. Hey, baby, what is wrong? Mama, just stop. I got to ask you a question. She's like, what is this? I said, it, knowing me my whole life, if I knew they were all you could eat ribs, would I have passed up? On having more ribs. She goes, no, baby, what happened? I said, well, I'm just trying to deal with that later. What did she do to you? My mama stopped. <laughs> We're going to make it. So anyway, I left Aaron in Mississippi. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but listen, I, I was just thinking back. At that time, I was like, that's a big letdown in marriage. I thought she'd have known me better. And then you realize something about life. And that is that life is full of letdowns, isn't it? That life itself throws out a whole lot of letdowns. You see, what we find is, is that you find yourself maybe as an adult and you expected your career to be something that you loved in, in, but instead you find yourself trapped in a, in a job you hate or you expected your marriage to be happily ever after and it is anything but. You expected your kids to be perfect. They're not, you know, you, they're just, they're not perfect. And maybe you're, you're a kid here today, you're a teenager today, you expected your parents to be perfect, and, and then you realize that even your parents are imperfect. You expected to be happy, but you aren't. You expected your friends to always be there, but they haven't been. You expected those who were closest to you not to hurt you, and guess what? They did. You expected your health to hold up, but it isn't. You expected your retirement, your income, your, your paycheck to go further, and it just isn't. And then you begin to realize that maybe more than ribs at a restaurant, life really does throw out a lot of letdowns, don't it? You see, letdowns happen when there's a certain expectation that is set, and those expectations aren't met. Letdowns, hear me, they happen to everyone. They are a common place where all of us visit from time to time. And here's what we know to be true, that every letdown in life leads to a longing. Every letdown you and I experience simply leaves us longing, longing for something that should have been to finally be. And so today in Nehemiah, we are going to talk through living life after the letdown. How do you and I live life after the letdown? So we pick back up with Nehemiah and his story. And by the way, this is our last sermon in this series of Nehemiah. And so we find Nehemiah, this cupbearer to the king, was called of God to rebuild the wall, broken for nearly 100 years of his family's hometown in Jerusalem. The vision God put on Nehemiah's heart from him moved him from being a cupbearer to the king to first-generation general contractor tasked with rebuilding the wall to the governor of Jerusalem who would finally see the wall built and so many come home. We're coming off just a couple of weeks ago, the great revival that happened at the Watergate in Nehemiah chapter 8. Last week, this incredible confession of sin among the people of God that happened in Nehemiah chapter 9. And today, followed up in Nehemiah chapter 10, we find the people making commitments to God, making promises 
to God. I want you to see this. You ready? The Bible teaches us in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 29, that as all the people in Jerusalem and the surrounding area came together, all of the people of God, they began to bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully, watch this, all of the commands, not just some of them, not just the ones they like, not just the easy ones, but all the commands, regulations, and decree, the decrees of the Lord, our Lord. We find they come together and they make these promises. In fact, they put their name, they sign their names. Nehemiah leading out a list of 84 people who sign their names to this covenant to God that we will love, know, and follow after you. We're not going to sin against you. We're not going to break your law. And what are some of those laws that they're talking about? Well, in verses 28 through 30 in chapter 10, the people, they promised not to give their daughters in marriage to the people groups around them, nor would they take daughters from other people groups in marriage. You go, why in the world would they promise not to do that? What was the law of God not to do so? You might say, why? Well, this is best answered in King Solomon's story. Solomon, the wisest man outside of Jesus to ever walk the earth, listen, he had affairs with foreign women. For instance, the daughter of Pharaoh, he had affairs with women from the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites, all from nations which God said, hey, listen, man, I don't want you marrying into that. I don't want you marrying into those families. It's the command that we find pretty commonplace in the Old Testament, 1 Kings eleven two. You must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. It's the same messaging that we find in places like 2 Corinthians. Now, I'm going to share with you a paraphrase from the message, but in a sense, this is what it means. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Paul would write to church and say this, don't become partners with those who reject God. And just don't do it. By the way, if you know your Bible, that's language, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, I want to mention this. That as we dive into this, man, we're not going to marry from other people's groups. I want you to understand something. That this is not a conversation about skin color. This is a conversation about sin in the heart. And I think it's important because for so many centuries in the church, we find that so many have abused this passage. This conversation, these commands, I want you to know something. That it is both a sin and an abuse and a perversion of God's word to make this passage about skin color when at its heart it's about sin and being unequally yoked with unbelievers. So just to remind you there, verse 31, they promised not to buy anything on the Sabbath day from the people living around them in order to keep the Sabbath holy. Verses 32, 34, and 39, they promised to take care of the temple, the very place where God would meet with his people. Verse 33, they promised to obey all the Jewish festivals and feasts of God that were commanded of them. In verse 36, they promised to dedicate their firstborn son and livestock to the Lord. Verse 35, 37, 38, they promised to give a tenth of all they brought in to the Lord through the temple, right? So you just see the people of God. And God, here's what we promised to do. Here's how we are going to love you and lead this out. Guys, I'm going to tell you, chapter 10 is incredible. What an incredible scene. They weren't just moved for a moment. They were moved into action. God's vicious vision has been accomplished. Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra's mission to rebuild the people of God spiritually seems to be working, and, and it's bearing out fruit in the people's lives. 
Chapter 11, volunteers will come together and draw straws to see who it it will be to take a permanent residence in the city of Jerusalem. Chapter 12, there's a dedication of this incredible rebuilt wall to the Lord, uh, symbolizing the dedication of the people themselves to the Lord. And you know what? You see, after this dedication in Nehemiah chapter 12, that there's only one chapter left, chapter 13. And here's what you believe. You get off that wall, that dedication, and the people of God live happily ever after. Except for they didn't. Except for they wouldn't. You see, because it's in chapter 13 that we find a pretty big letdown. The last book of the of the series, the last book of Nehemiah would prove to be a letdown. It's in chapter 13 that things begin to come off the rails. The flames of revival in chapter 8 seem to be quenched among the people. The sins the people confessed in chapter 9 again make an entrance into the people of God's story. The promises the people made in in chapter 10 will all be broken by chapter 13. And by the way, there's a word I keep using a lot, and it's the word they. As if this chapter 13, this sin problem, is is only for Nehemiah's day and among Nehemiah's people. I love what J.D. Greer, a pastor, said. He said, we often think the problem is somewhere out there. They are the problem, whoever they happen to be. Hollywood is too immoral. The media is too liberal. Professors are too cynical. Millennials are too rebellious. Sure, the world is sinful, but watch what he says. But their sin isn't keeping God from pouring out revival. Sin in the church is. And man, you know what? He's right. It's a reminder that every time we say they in this passage, every time we read from chapter 13, that we are the they, And that chapter 13 of Nehemiah gets played out in our lives as well, over and over again. And so let's hop into chapter 13. Now what's happened? How are things coming off the rails? And here's what we find in Nehemiah 13, beginning in verse 4. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chamber of the house of our God, who was related to Tobiah, what he's saying? Y'all remember this guy, right? You remember this joker from early on? Tobiah? one of the very enemies of Nehemiah and the priest in charge of the temple is related to that guy? Guys, we're fixing to see a good old boy system set up. Now, prepare for Tobiah, a large chamber where they had previously put, watch this, all of God's stuff. Grain offering, frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levite singers and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priest. So, So let me paint a picture. In the very temple area of God, Nehemiah had fought so hard to build the walls around and to protect and to keep Tobiah out. This priest lets him in. Moves all the stuff that was dedicated to God and lets this old enemy of Nehemiah in. And watch this. While this was taking place, Nehemiah recounts, I was not in Jerusalem. Now we get the picture of what's going on. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. You see, Nehemiah went back to Susa for a season, probably to continue serving as cupbearer to the king and to meet all the obligations he made in that role. But upon his return to uh, to Jerusalem, Nehemiah had this expectation 
to the very thing that he'd worked so hard for, sacrificed so much for, would at least be as he had left it, and he hoped it would even be better. You see, most of all, he expected the people to remain committed to the Lord and to keep their promises with God and to walk with God. But you know what? Didn't happen. Watch what it says here as we play this out. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came back to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the very house of God. You know what I can imagine? Nehemiah rides back into town into Jerusalem. He stops by the temple to see all that God is doing. Notices that his arch nemesis not only has a storage unit, but a penthouse in the temple of God. And here's what I can imagine Nehemiah saying, oh, no, he didn't. Oh, no, he didn't. But the reality on the ground is, oh, yes, he did. Let me show you what the Hebrew is for, oh, no, he didn't. You ready? And I was very angry. I was very angry. And watch this. Oh, this must have been great. I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God, which the grain offering and the frankincense. Man, to be a fly on the wall that day. When Nehemiah, I personally think, he started chunking out stuff himself outside of the temple and onto the front lawn of the temple. I, I believe he, he hired out a, a carpet cleaning company and a, and a cleaning company just to remove the stank from Tobiah, his enemy. And that's what he does. He begins to clean house. But listen, Nehemiah doesn't stop there. He was not done. We find in Nehemiah 13, verses 23 through 25, the very promise the people made not to intermarry with other peoples who rejected God. They had already broken that promise. And watch what he says here. So I, re- Gosh, this is crazy. So I rebuked them and called curses down on them. Watch this. I beat some of the men and I pulled out their hair. What is happening in Jerusalem? Talk about conflict management. I'll be honest. In some past churches, I've been involved in deacons means that look a lot like this. Sometimes I want to act just like this with certain people. But you know what? This is not a shining moment for Nehemiah. If you were to read, most scholars would say that what happens here in Nehemiah 13 is a righteous and right anger for Nehemiah. Like that it was okay for him to start beating up on people and pulling out their hair. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think so. I think what this is, is that Nehemiah has such an incredible letdown of what he hoped and expected of the people. So incredibly let down that he gets in the flesh. Because nowhere in Scripture is it commanded of him by God. Hey, by the way, as you clean house, just go ahead and beat on them for a little bit. Pull something in people's hair out. It's, it's nowhere commanded of God. I believe he finds himself in the flesh. And I find that maybe, just maybe, Nehemiah even let down the people of God. But could you imagine him standing there at the temple going, and what has happened? Can you imagine that this big letdown leaves him longing for the days of chapter 8 and that revival at the water gate? Longing for chapter 9 as the people confess their sins in chapter 10 as they committed and promised to God to not sin in that way anymore. The festivities of chapter 11 
as people fought to live in town. And in chapter 12, this incredible celebration of, of the dedication of the wall. Can you imagine that the letdown Nehemiah is experiencing in chapter 13 leaves him longing for what should have been? I think it does. I'm reminded of a story Tony Campolo. By the way, he's a minister with which I disagree with most of, most of what he believes theologically. But he told a story one day that stuck with me. He spoke of an experience he had at a Pentecostal church one Sunday. He tells of a man in the throes of a spiritual fit who stood up in church and he yelled three times, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Well, about that third time, there was a little old lady sitting behind him. And she finally just had enough. And she couldn't control herself. And here's what she did right after he got done. Lord, don't do it. He leaks. Right? She calls out after him and said, this guy leaks. You know what? At our best, we all have a tendency to leak spiritually. We leak out revival until we need to be revived again. We are filled with joy, and then all of a sudden our joy begins to leak. We are filled with confidence in the Lord, and then our confidence begins to leak. Let me tell you something about life's letdowns. You ready? They just leave us leaky. And the people in Nehemiah chapter 13, they're leaking. And so Nehemiah as this triumphal moment here in uh, Nehemiah 13, 30, thus I cleansed them from everything foreign. I established the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering and appointed times and for the first fruits. And watch this prayer. It's almost like a desperate prayer here. <laughs> Remember me, oh my God, for the good. Remember me, Nehemiah, he cleans house. The people let him down. I believe his actions let the people down, especially those walking around with black eyes and now a new bald head, right, uh, from the event and assault of verse 25. I mean, everybody's just let down. And this is how we end the book of Nehemiah. I was in Walgreens yesterday picking something up for the house on the way home, and, and I stopped by, and Becca, who, who goes to church here, was working behind the counter, and she said, man, I, I'm going to be there tomorrow. I said, so good, Becca. Man, but pray for the sermon. This is a weird sermon. And I said, it's weird in this way. Man, the whole book of Nehemiah is just a big letdown at the end. <laughs> it's just, it doesn't end well. It's just weird. We get to the end of Nehemiah, shared, and despite his best leadership efforts, the people tore down the spiritual walls that him and Ezra worked so hard to build in their hearts. So the story in all of Nehemiah, Zerubbabel at the beginning, Ezra in the middle, and Nehemiah at the end, is just one big letdown. And you know what it does? You read chapter 13, you know what it does? It leaves you longing for more. That's what letdowns always do. But you know, come to think of it, if you were to read the law of God, those first five books of the Old Testament, if you were to kind of comb through the law of God in the Old Testament, guess what it does? It's sort of a letdown. And it leaves us longing. Why? Because according to Romans 3 and 7, the law of God cannot save us or make us right before God. Therefore, the law of God is a letdown in that it cannot save us. And therefore, it leaves us longing. And yet... This longing we have from this law of God that we can never keep seems to be satisfied 
seems to be satisfied somewhere else, but really, better yet, in someone else. Listen to Jesus here in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or to do away with it, or the prophets, meaning the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but watch this. I've come to fulfill the law. What's amazing is, is that the law itself pointed us to our longings for Jesus. It's exactly what it did. You know, we've read of feasts and festivals in the book of Nehemiah. And there are seven of them throughout the Old Testament that is commanded of God. In the springtime, they were to celebrate the festival of Passover and unleavened bread. The first fruits in the festival of weeks. And the final three holidays or festivals occurring within a 15-day period of each other in the fall. The people of God were to celebrate the Passover, the Day of Atonement. And the Feast of Tabernacle. But here's the problem. No matter how joyous the feast or festival, when you got to the end of it, there was a little bit of a letdown. Because even these joyous feasts and festivals led to a longing for something. Better yet, someone more. That's why Colossians would teach us this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, what we just talked about, a new moon celebration or Sabbath day. These, watch this language here. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found where? In Jesus. Is found in Jesus. What's amazing is, is that even the feasts and the festivals, the letdown you get after such an incredible high on these joyous festivals, produced in us a longing that would ultimately point us to Jesus. In fact, I want to make a statement that sounds really hard, but listen to me. If you were to read the Old Testament and not the New Testament, at the end of the reading of the Old Testament, you would have been let down you would be left longing if there were no New Testament. Why? Because the entire Old Testament looked forward to, longed for, and pointed to Jesus. Why? Because the law couldn't save me. The feasts and festivals, man, they couldn't save us. In fact, the broken heroes of the Old Testament, as is evidenced in Nehemiah, couldn't save us either. Only Jesus... God in the flesh who made his dwelling among us could satisfy every longing life's letdowns produced in us. But I think of Nehemiah's leadership, all the things over this many weeks we've seen God do. And you know what? Even his leadership in chapter 13 lets us down and leaves us longing for more. After reading Nehemiah's story, you start thinking this, well, maybe there's someone who's going to come who won't beat people for their sin, but who'll take a beating for people's sin. Maybe someone's coming who wouldn't necessarily uh, pull out other people's hair, but would allow men to pull out the hair of his beard because of his love for sinners. Nehemiah leaves us longing for a leader that won't just cleanse the temple, but who could clean our hearts. We long for a leader who doesn't just pray, remember me, but answers the prayers of even a thief on the cross to remember him in paradise. A leader who doesn't just throw stuff on the front lawn, but one who threw himself under the bus of God's wrath on the cross for sinful people just like you and me. 
You see, Nehemiah leaves us longing for Jesus. So two points to close. What does life after the letdown look like? How do we do life after these big letdowns that we experience? You ready? Life after the letdown begins here by lifting your head. By lifting your head. You know, in boxing, what a great sport. You know, one of the things that you're going to hear being yelled at boxers all the time is what? To keep your chin where? Down. It's down. Let me tell you why. Because with your chin down in boxing, you're protecting your nose and you're minimizing the damage that happens to your face. And so oftentimes you'll hear coaches and people chant, hey, keep that chin down. But you know what? Our faith teaches us a little something different. In a world where people have to keep their chins down, our faith teaches us to lift our heads up. Watch this in Psalm 3.3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory. And watch this. And you are the lifter of my head. One of my favorite jobs that Jesus has is that in the midst of life's letdowns, then he's the one who comes in, and if I let him, then he'll lift. He'll lift my head. He'll lift me up. In a world that tells you, hey, keep your chin down, we've got a God who says, let me lift your head. When the letdowns of this life are levied against you, And so, letdowns not only begin with lifting your head, better yet, letting Jesus lift your head. Life after the letdown continues as we look to Jesus. Watch what the author of Hebrews says. That we're looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me tell you something about our letdowns. You ready? That when we allow Jesus to lift our head, when we look to Jesus, letdowns die at the feet of Jesus, and he alone can satisfy every longing that letdowns leave. That letdowns leave. I'm going to tell you a statement I know to be true. Every boy needs their daddy. Listen to me, church. Every boy needs their dad. No matter if you're 40 years old, the pastor of a church with a beautiful wife and four kids of your own, every boy needs a dad. A dad to be present. A dad to be proud of them. A dad who's who's there for them. You know, in preparing this message, I thought, what are some of the the biggest letdowns in my, in my life and right at the top of that list was when I was a teenager when dad left mama. And my daddy left our family. You know, I don't know. I just expected when dad promises to love and to be faithful to her forever that he would. And he didn't. And I'm going to tell you, uh, one of the largest and biggest letdowns in my life was losing dad. Every boy needs a dad on the scene. Mine wasn't.
it's really hard. And I spent years longing. For dad. But as I grew in my faith, I remember realizing that all the longings that were the result of a letdown of dad leaving were being satisfied in Jesus. That in Jesus, I, I found a, a heavenly father that, that would never leave. A heavenly father that, that would never let you down. No matter how many times you came to him, he, he was always there and he never let you down. God's been so good to me because not only has he been there for me, but he's provided some men like my father-in-law and Scott Carter, who's kind of a spiritual dad to me, to come in and stand in the gap. But I'm going to tell you something. Every boy needs their dad. And so steps Jesus into the biggest letdown of my life. And he loved me there. And he would never leave me there. And not once, listen, I've been walking with him since the age of 15. Not once has Jesus ever, ever let me down. And so that's what my life has looked like. After a big letdown, Jesus would come time and time again and he'd lift my head up. I'm still 40 and this still hurts. But yet time and time again he lifts my head up. And if I but just look to Jesus, fix my eyes on him, He satisfies every longing that my letdown brings. And you know what? That's what He wants to do with your letdowns. Let's pray together, can we? As we pray, uh, and I don't know all your letdowns in life. You know, I know some of them. Because I know some of you. And there's letdowns that, that you let everybody know about, and there's letdowns that you've not let anyone know about. But you know what? They hurt, and they, they leave some longing, don't they? They, they? they leave some longing behind that maybe you still, you still long for, and, and you know, the challenge today is we end a book that has incredible vision of God but ends not well. In, in a sense, its ending is the letdown. It leaves us longing for more. I'm going to tell you something. Life gets like that for every single one of us. And so let me ask you this. What are you doing with your letdowns? Hey, what are you doing with those longings that the letdown leaves over in your life? Hey, can I tell you what I do? I let Jesus lift my head up. And it's not like he just had to do it one time. You know what? Sometimes 
I got to let him do it every day in my life. And you know what? Sometimes I got to let him do it multiple times a day in my life when letdowns come. He is a shield. He's the glory. Hear me, church. He's the lifter of my head. In a world that tells you, put your chin down. And he lifts up your head. Gosh, I love him for it. And you know what? Look to him. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.